want to read to you from the book of 1 John. And if you've got your Bible, maybe you want to go there. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. And we're just going to read three verses together. Could I get one of the strong young men to just come and move this to here, please? Uh, you, you do qualify as a strong young man. Boxer. Boxer, sorry. Thank you. <laughs> Fine. Thank you, sir. So this is this is First John chapter two, from verse twenty-eight. And now, little children, abide in Him, that when He appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. If you know. That he is righteous. You know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Lord, as we open up this unsearchable truth, Lord, tonight. Lord, we we pray, God, for the great and powerful moving of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come tonight? Would you come and blow the wind of love upon us again? Holy Spirit, would you come and blow the wind of adoption in every heart here tonight again, Lord? That our hearts would cry out in a new and fresh way, Abba, Father. Would you come tonight, Holy Spirit? Father, would you, would you come and be with your children whom you've adopted tonight? Lord? Would you come, Lord? Lord, that's all that's important to us tonight, Lord. That you would come and be with us, Lord. We, we want our dad to be with us tonight, Lord. Daddy, we, we want you to be with us tonight. So Lord, we, we just stop now. We just ask you, Father, would you come and be with us? As a dad delights to be with his children, come and be with us. The Apostle John is... He's... Um, He's writing about righteousness. He's writing about those who've been born of God and how those who have been born of God will walk righteously. And the purpose of his letter, as he says elsewhere, is that those who are reading this and hearing this read to them in the church would know that they have been saved. That they would know the love of God for them, their security in God. And that that knowledge of the love of God would cause them to turn away from sin. He says, I write this to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. He's writing so that we will not sin and he, he is 
delving into some of the deepest theological waters, actually, when he says what we've just read tonight, where he says, if, if you know that he, God, is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. If, if you know that he is, is righteous, see, John says that, that God is righteous. He, he's righteous. He is clean and pure and holy. And if we know that, that he is righteousness, then John says it follows that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Now why is that? Why does it follow that every single human being who genuinely practices righteousness, practices as a way of life, who lives a life of increasing righteousness, marked by righteousness, cleanness, purity, love for God, love for neighbor, why is it that those who live lives of continuing disciplined righteousness have been born of God. And John says we know that is true because God is righteous. There is no righteousness or cleanness or goodness or justice or truth in this universe outside of God. God is the source of all righteousness, all goodness, all cleanness, all purity, all love, all tenderness. Everything good in this universe has its source in God. It comes from God. There is no source of goodness in some other place that God would kind of look upon and say, yes, okay, I approve of that. No, no. If there is goodness in this world, it has emanated from Him. He has caused it to be. He has caused it to be. Any person doing anything good or right or just in this world is doing so because they have been moved and granted by God to do it. We know that He is righteous. Any goodness and righteousness and truth in this world glorifies God. It points us back to God. It shows us God. Like the starry skies. We went to Elgin this weekend. and It's so dark. And you look up into the sky and you see stars you didn't know existed when you live in a city. And I'm reminded of that verse that says the heavens declare what? The glory of God. Even the stars shout out His name and declare His glory. And so does every righteous act, every loving act, even of one school child to another. It is declaring the goodness and truth and, and beauty of our God. Hell will be a place where there will finally be no goodness anymore. Because the presence of God will no longer be there. There is still so much in this world that is held together because God is in it. And even unbelievers 
who benefit from this, this common grace, as we call it, of God in the world that we live in, they, they spit in the face of God, not knowing that it is His goodness that they enjoy every second of the day. He says, if we know that He is righteous, then it follows that everyone who practices righteousness as a way of life has been born of Him. Has been born of Him. And here, John begins to speak of this great moment that Scripture speaks of in, in various ways. When, when a, a human being can be recreated. Can be born again, as Jesus put it in John's Gospel. He says, we know that anyone who, who is walking righteously, who's living a life marked by ongoing righteousness, not perfection, that will never happen in this world, but an increasing righteousness in life. We know that this person has been born of God. And, and his, his, his mind now turns to this great theological category we call regeneration. The regenerating power, the recreating power of the Holy Spirit when He visits a sinner. When He takes a heart that was hard. When He takes someone who was dead in trespasses and sins and He makes them alive together with Christ. And by grace they are saved. That moment of being born again. He, he turns his attention to this as he, as he says, we, we know that anyone who walks righteously has had that experience. They have been born of God. And as he, as he now makes that point, it's, 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 it's almost as if you can see the heart and spirit of the Apostle John rise up within him with a sense of, of awestruck wonder as he, as he, as he ponders this, this unfathomable thought of being born of God. And he breaks his own train of thought as he is now supposed to be speaking about righteousness and those who walk in righteousness and how we are to abide in Him so that we don't stray and we don't begin sinning again. But if we abide in Him, if we stay close to Him, if we stay connected with Him, we're going to walk in righteousness. That's where He's going, but now He, he, he can't help Himself. And his, his mind is drawn up to heaven with the great, one of the great wonders of the Christian faith. And he spontaneously expresses in this letter the thought that came to him as he was writing this. And here's the thought. Behold. Behold. Look at this. Behold. That's what the word means. Stop. Just, let's just stop here for a minute. And let's, let's think about this. I wasn't planning to say this, but, but this thought of being born of God so that we can walk righteously, this, this, this thought is staggering thought. Let's just, just stop and think about this. Behold, what manner of love, 
what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. What an amazing thing. What an incredible measure of love. Behold, what manner of love is this? And it's good that we stop. So many people go about their lives so busy, so distracted, so ambitious. And they never behold what manner of love is this. So busy, we're so busy, we're so ambitious, we're so worried, we're so everything that distracts us, everything that we fear, everything that we desire that we don't have immediately, everything that is uncomfortable in our lives, we everything that can dull the sense of wonder. Behold, what manner of love is this? Behold, what what manner of love is it? What is this love? First, first of all, it's it's an unwarranted love. It's undeserved. What manner of love is this? It's undeserved love. It's unwarranted. We do not deserve this. To be called the children of God. On the contrary. God made man in his image. Male and female. He made them. And he blessed them on the day he made them. He put all of creation at our feet. He gave man dignity and honor and glory. Above anything in creation. He was man's crowning peace. In all of creation. And he laid creation at Adam's feet. He said, it's yours. It's yours. I give it to you. And what did we do? We spat in his face. Eve was deceived. Adam was rebellious. And mankind fell. They said, we do not want this God over us. We do not want His authority. We will take all He has given us, but we do not want Him. In fact, we will be God. And they rebelled. And the testimony of Scripture is that when Adam and Eve fell, our first father, Adam, was a representative of all mankind. Federal headship is what it's called. And in Adam, all became sinful and utterly corrupt. Man, men and women, mankind is not some innately good creature that has slightly lost his way and needs to find his way back on his own. No, the Bible says man is a rebel. He is a rebel. He kicks against God. He hates God. He will not have God for his Lord. He will not submit to the rulership of God. There is none who does good. No, not one. 
We like sheep have all gone astray. We have gone our own way, every one of us. The poison of, of asps is under their tongues. You've got to read the description of man that Paul gives in Romans chapter 1. Man is a rebel. Man does not want God. He does not want God. He does not want God to be his father. He does not want God to be his ruler. He does not want God to be his God. He will be done with God if he had his own way. We do not deserve this love. And so when Adam and Eve fell, God sent them out of the garden. Disowned and yet with a token of mercy and grace upon them. The blood of those skins, a promise of the seed of the woman who would come. And reverse all of this. But until man is reconciled to God, until the sin of man and each man and woman and child in their own relationship with God, until the sin of our lives is put away, we are at enmity with God. We are, we are His enemies. And we are not His children. God is not the father of all people in the same way. God can be called the father of all mankind in a certain sense, in a creative sense, but not in a relational sense. In fact, Jesus said to the Jews of his own day, you are of your father the devil. That's what we've become. That's how bad the news is. We have become the children of the devil. And we hate God and we kick against him and we rebel against him. And yet God is gracious. He is gracious. How unwarranted in this. Behold, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. A completely undeserved, unmerited love. And God does not need us. He doesn't need us. I remember being told as a new Christian that God had created man because God was lonely. And I guess... A, was a kind of nice thought but completely unbiblical the Bible says God is perfectly happy he's always had perfect fellowship within the Trinity the reason why we love people why we want to be with people the reason why human beings are social creatures why we love and want to be loved is because we are made in the image of God that is who God is God is a God of relationship. He's a God of, of love giving and of love receiving. And He has always given and received perfect, fulfilling love from all eternity within the Trinity. And yet, behold, behold, what manner of love is this? That He, in His pure generosity, wants to bring creatures into this dance of love of the Trinity. He wants to draw people in and let them share in it. God's creation and His redemption are pure acts of generosity and mercy. Because that's who He is. He's a good God. He's a good God. I, I hope that that has got into you somehow in your Christian walk. That God is a good God. He is good. And the evil and sin and suffering that we see in this world is not to be blamed 
on him. It's us. We have rebelled against him. And the wages of sin is death. Behold, what manner of love is this? It's totally unwarranted. It's undeserved. What else is, is there about this love that we can behold, as the Apostle John tells us? Well, it's costly love. It's costly. When, when, when God extended His love upon us that we might be called the children of God, that cost God everything. cost him everything. It cost him his only son so that I could become the child of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This is a cost. This is a love that is not afraid to pay a price for what it seeks. This is a, this is a, a, a love of courage. This is a, a love of power and of might. This is a love which reaches through the darkness of this world and the evil that has consumed everything that God made good. It reaches through to the very heart of it with unselfishness, with love, with, with complete grace. With a courage that says, as he, as he sweats great drops of blood, if there is no other way, let your will be done. I'll do it. Thank you, Jesus. Behold, what manner of love is this? I did not deserve that he should sweat great drops of blood for me. For me. So that I could become the child of God again. That I could be adopted into the family of God. That my sin might be judged and, and uh, punished in his body. So that I could go free. Behold, what manner of love is this? This is the God we serve. He's an incredible God. He is an incredible God. And His love is like nothing you've ever known. It's like nothing you've ever known. I mean, behold, what else can you say? Behold. Behold. It's incredible. We know that he is righteous, says John. And God will not pardon the guilty. He cannot just overlook sin. He's a God of justice. Sin must be punished. The wages of sin is death. And those wages must be paid. But God loved us so much that he sent his son who went to a cross. And the punishment for our sins, which we deserve... As this great exchange took place, was poured out full measure upon Jesus, and his righteousness 
33 years of pure, clean living that pleased the Father. This is my beloved Son, said the voice from heaven, in whom I am well pleased. As Christ was dying on that cross, the voice to Him was, I am punishing you for sin. You have become sin to me, He said to His own Son. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The great exchange. My sin for his righteousness. He takes my sin. He's punished for me. I get his righteousness and I am adopted as the child of God in him. Behold. What manner of love is this that we should be called the children of God this is costly love it cost God everything and then this love is it's generous it's it's, it's, it's greater than anything we can imagine once we've been adopted into this, this, this family, this love, we, we see, but, but hold on here, this, this is more than I deserve, even having been forgiven. This is, this is not just, I'm, I'm, I'm forgiven, I'm, I'm washed clean, my sins are not held against me now, I can go my separate way, and, and God's wrath and His, and His right to punish me has now been dealt with and now we can go our own separate ways. No, God doesn't stop it there. He says, now that I have dealt with your sin, I'm going to do something that is infinitely more valuable. I'm going to adopt you as my child. I'm going to adopt you. You're going to become my daughter. You're going to become my son. And I'm going to be your dad. And I'm going to walk with you through this journey of life. And this love that I'm pouring out into you as your father now. Let me, let me share a little secret with you. It'll never end. There'll never be any closing date to this relationship between you and me now. I've adopted you for eternity. Can your mind conceive of eternity? Can your mind conceive of it? Can we somehow by the grace of God get a glimpse of it? Just, just a fleeting skip of your heart as you, as you think it will never end. It, it will never end. It will never ever end. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, We've no less days to sing His praise than when we first begun. Behold, what man of love is this? Behold. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this world are insignificant 
compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. Some, some of you are, are going through a hard time. Some of you are sitting here tonight and your hearts are broken for some reason. I, I hope and I pray that God would just open your eyes. Like Elijah's servant Gehazi, just, just open his eyes to see the spiritual realm. To behold what manner of love has been bestowed upon you. That even in your hardship, God has a purpose for it. He's using it for your sanctification. He, he hears your prayers. He's still with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And He is storing up a great inheritance for you. Sometimes I try to get my mind around this thing of eternity. And when we've been there for a billion, billion years, a billion, billion, can I get my head around that long, that, that we will be together and we'll love each other perfectly as I long to love you tonight, but I can't, I can't love you as you deserve to be loved as a child of God, but, but there we will love each other perfectly. We'll, there'll be no hidden agendas, there'll be no insecurities between us, there'll be none of that. That we will love each other perfectly. After having lived in perfect love, loving perfectly and being loved perfectly by what I will believe will be hundreds of millions of people in heaven. Every one of them loving you perfectly. When, when we have lived in such, I don't, I don't even want to say a community because that's the wrong word. When we've lived in such a family, you know, God is a God of family. When we've lived in such a family for a billion, billion years, we will look at each other and we will say, it hasn't even begun. There will still be a billion of those billion, billion years. And at the end of that, there will be a billion of those to come. It will never end. It's... I mean, all you can say is, Behold! And then this love. Bless you, my brother. Bless you, my sister. Have a wonderful evening. And then we can, we can say that this love is powerful. What manner of love is this? It's a powerful love. It's a furious love, as one man titled his movie. It's, it's a love that comes into your life and gives you a spirit which is the most powerful, dynamic, Entity, I don't want to call it that, or energy, I don't want to call it because it's a person. He fills you with a spirit that is so powerful that this spirit is the one that spoke order over creation. This spirit is the one that is the source of all life. He is life itself. What is life? Can you can you hand can you see it in a test tube? The Holy Spirit is the source of all life. And when we are adopted, the Bible says God gives us the Spirit to live inside of us. This powerful Spirit. 
And he brings gifts with him. He brings gifts with him. And each one here has received a gift when you've received the Holy Spirit. And this gift is to be used for the good of the church. So if your gift here is prophecy, let your prophetic stirrings, let them be stirred up. Let them be. If your gift here is encouragement, let it be stirred up, be an encouragement. Love with all of the power of the Spirit within you. If your gift is to serve, do it with diligence. If your gift is to lead, lead with diligence. If your, if your gift is gifts of healings, let the Spirit move. Let Him go and lay hands on someone and pray for them. He brings gifts with Him, this great Spirit. Not only that, but He is the Spirit of holiness. The Bible says we are sanctified by the Spirit. Sanctified means we're made more and more holy. And this receiving of the Spirit of holiness is, is, the, is the reason John can say, if we know He is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. When someone has been born again, when they have said yes to Jesus, and that moment when the Holy Spirit comes and floods into their body, and all their sin is forgiven, and they are made a new creation, when that happens, a dramatic change comes upon that life. A dramatic change. And if there's no change in that life, that was not genuine conversion. Because we, we receive a spirit of holiness that is furiously committed to changing who we are. Yes, He is. He will burn away the chaff. Yes, He will. He will sanctify you. He's going to make you like Jesus. That's why the, the Christian can be pointed out and seen amongst a crowd. This must be said to the honor of Christianity that every truly born again Christian has a power over sin that others do not. It must be said to the honor of biblical Christianity because we have received the spirit of holiness. This is a powerful spirit. And not only that, <clears throat> but this spirit is powerful in that he is able to give life to your mortal body. And I believe that can be seen in two ways. First of all, it can be seen in physical healing. Not everyone we pray for gets healed. But we can pray for the sick and expect God to heal. Why? Because it's not only our spirits and souls that have been redeemed, that have been washed clean and claimed from the kingdom of darkness. And God has said, mine, mine now, my child. It's your body as well. It's your body as well. Your body is as much a part of who you are as, much as your spirit is. And I've heard people say, you know, this is not the real me. The real me is the, is the me inside of me, the spirit. 
It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful thought. It's, it's communicating something which can be seen to be truthful, but it's, it's in my view, it's a, it's, a, it's a slippery analogy that, because the Bible says that God made man with a body. And it says when we are living with God in Him, the new heavens and the new earth, we will be in physical bodies. God likes bodies. They were His idea. And He's going to reclaim them for Himself. And every single weakness of the human body will be utterly done away with. And we will live in power and strength in physical bodies in a physical world together for eternity. This is not Lala Land. This is not some cloud vision land. This is a physical place. God likes your body. And He's bought it with the blood of His Son. Now there is still sin, there is still the flesh, and we must put off this mortal coil, as Paul says. We must put it off. At some point, that which is, how does Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 15? An unglorified body must become a glorified body. A perishable body must, be, must put on an imperishable body. An immortal body must replace a mortal body. So yes, there is this, this putting off that must take place. We must all die physically. But there are moments in this life where the kingdom of God, where we will live one day, breaks into the present realm of our experience. And God gives us tokens of what we will have on that day. And He heals people physically. That's true. That's why we ought to pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. That includes physical healing. So I believe that the Spirit of God, this love, this manner of love that has adopted us as God's children, brought us into His kingdom, it at least says to us, if you've got faith to be healed, let someone pray for you. And God might just heal you. Now He's sovereign. He's the dispenser of gifts. He might not grant that prayer, and that's okay. We praise Him anyway. And secondly, there's, the, there's coming that great day. That great day of resurrection. And Paul said this, If the Spirit of, of God that raised Jesus from the dead, it was the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, if that Spirit lives in you, He will also quicken your mortal body. He will raise your body from the dead. And that doesn't matter what happens to your body when you die. <clears throat> He's going to raise you from the dead one day. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Father, we thank you so much for this incredible love. We have done our best tonight to behold this love. To think about it, Lord, that this love is totally unwarranted. It was costly. It cost you everything, God. It's, it's generous and magnanimous and pours out blessings upon us which we couldn't even fathom with our minds. And it's powerful. It is a powerful love. Father, I pray that your spirit would blow through this room tonight, Lord. 
and open every eye and every heart to the, the magnitude and magnificence and glory and beauty and power of this amazing love that you have become our Father. Lord, let the Holy Spirit rise up in every heart here tonight and cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. Lord, let us see you as our dad tonight again. Let us feel you in our hearts as our dad. Let us know the footsteps of our Father amongst us, walking with us in the cool of the day. You're our dad. We love you, dad. We want you to be with us. We, we, we want to be with you, dad. Our eyes are upon you tonight, dad. Because you've shown us amazing love, dad. And you're a good dad. You're a good dad. We can trust you. You've shown us great love, dad. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.